that happened at 9 o'clock this morning, and it is so awesome that we are baptizing people once again. Uh, that is our first baptism in over a year, not because we didn't want to do it, because this thing COVID happened and we couldn't figure out how to do it. And so uh, we are super excited to be able to be baptizing people again. We have more fun in store, but baptism really is the uh, space in our lives where we submit to God. Once we believe in God, the commands in scripture are to uh, believe in him and then follow him in baptism. And baptism is this beautiful picture of God washing our inside uh, clean, this white as snow, washing the sin away. And we demonstrate that inward reality with an outward picture. And so uh, Brian is an amazing, amazing young man, as you heard in his story. And so as we get started today, I want to go ahead and say a prayer uh, as we jump into today. Father, we are so, so grateful. And Lord, we give you praise for the way that you are changing lives. God, for the story that Brian has of where you've met him and uh, how you're meeting him currently. God, I pray for him, Lord, as he makes this statement of faith today, Lord, that uh, you would bless his life. God, that you would be with him no matter where he travels around the world as he serves this country uh, in the military. God, be with him as he goes to basic, Lord. Let him always know that Crossroads is home and, Lord, that you are with him no matter where he's at. God, we give you praise. We give you thanks. Lord, we look forward to the way that you move in others in this way and in ourselves as well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, well, today we start a brand new series, and as such, I want to take you all the way back to 1764 in Jevoudan, France. In 1764, there was a beast that roamed around France that famously became known as the Beast of Jevoudan. And the beast was described like this. It was a wolf-like canine that was tall, had a lean frame, and was able to walk on its hind legs, that it was taunty in its, in its fur with black lines down the back of its, uh, down its back. And as it was able to walk along, it had a, a head like a greyhound and a long snout, pointed ears, and a huge chest with just a huge head on top of it. Over the course of three years, from 1764 to 1767, there were 610 attacks contributed to the Beast of Jevedon. Of those 610 attacks, it was said that 500 died, 110 lived to tell the story. It was also said that during those three years that, the, that this beast was shot several times, killed only to be resurrected and to live again to bring terror to France. The legendary myth of the werewolf was born. Eventually, a local hunter named Jean Chaston fired a single homemade silver bullet that struck the beast, ultimately killing it, ending the terror on the French Alps. Throughout history, the belief of the magical power of silver became an instrumental part in the 17-1800s, eventually making its way into pop culture. It was believed that silver, and specifically the silver bullet, had the power to kill supernatural beings and fan fantasy uh, creatures. Eventually, it shows up in Lone Ranger, radio programs, and then into Stephen King novels. Now, of course, today, for most of us, we don't believe in werewolf stories. And I would imagine very few of us were around when Lone Ranger was on the radio programs. Our vision of Lone Ranger is the not-so-great Disney movie, right, that featured Johnny Depp. Uh, and the reality is, but the reality in all of that is, is that the silver bullet is still alive in all of us. See, the silver bullet in our culture today is that longing that every single one of us has for that one quick magical solution 
that will solve whatever problem we're facing. And admittedly, if I was being honest with you, there are moments in my life where I long for a silver bullet for my life. Oftentimes it happens in those moments when, when I'm looking at other people, comparing myself to them, feeling a bit small, feeling like maybe I don't measure up the way that I think I should. It's in those moments where, where I know where I'm at and, and I see where I wish I could be, but there's this tension that I can't quite get there. And I think to myself, if I just had a silver bullet, just a, just a magical fix that would take away all of life's tensions, that fix the problem, solve the problems that are in my life. And then the reality is, is that in our microwave world, every single one of us has been conditioned uh, for the instant, haven't we? We've been conditioned to get instant results. We've been conditioned to, to look for the quick fix. It's our hidden addiction in this life. And if we are being truthful, every one of us, if we are being truthful, the reality is, is it's even made it into our faith lives, hasn't it? It's made it into our relationship with God. That we have those moments in our life where, where we feel like if I just had more faith, if I just had bigger faith, if I just had more confidence in God, if, if I was just able to move in this way, then, then my life maybe wouldn't be like it is right now. That all of us have, have felt those moments in our lives. And, and in those moments, typically we, we pick up the Bible and we start to read it and we see these amazing people like Paul and Peter or, or women like, like Mary or Ruth. And we read their stories and they seem to have it going on and they have this like big faith. They have this confidence in God that no matter what comes their way, like, like they're going to be okay. Like there's this just this amazing faith that they have. And as we read the scriptures and see some of the amazing stories and the amazing men and women of scriptures, there's this tension that's created in us, isn't it? That it creates this tension between what I currently look like and what I wish to be. In fact, when we open up the scriptures, we see that it's pretty evident that, that God wants all of us to have this big faith, where we're growing in our spiritual lives and our confidence in him. And when we look at that, there's a struggle because I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And we think if there was only a way to like microwave this faith thing, like if there was just a silver bullet, we would be all over it. And yet the reality is, is that the super highway we're looking for is more like a bumpy dirt path called discipleship. And while it's relatively simple, it's not complex, it is difficult. See, when it comes to our spiritual growth, the reality is, is that there are no silver bullets. There are no silver bullets to our spiritual growth, that it happens in holistic community, that that's where our spiritual growth happens. And so as we jump into this series over the next five weeks, what we're going to do is just look at some of the things that we've observed that God uses to grow us spiritually. That when we take a step of, of belief in Jesus, when we step into our faith with Jesus, what we've observed is that God uses a handful of things over and over and over again, consistently in our lives to grow our faith, to, to grow our confidence in him. That helps us to have faith, like the men and women that, that we read about in here. Now, if you're a note taker and you wanna take some notes, I'm just gonna give you all five where we're going in the next five weeks. The first one is this, is when it comes to practical teaching. That practical teaching, specifically of the Bible, grows our spiritual lives. The second thing, maybe no surprise to you, is prayer. The way that we handle in our, our prayer in our lives ultimately grows us spiritually. The vulnerability and the care that we have in our lives, the spiritual friendships, and then ultimately, the way that we live out our lives missionally. It just seems to us 
that as we've watched people make decisions for Jesus, as we've looked out at the people whose lives are growing spiritually, it's these five things that God uses. And here's the deal, that when it comes to these five things, that it is totally independent of where you're at in your journey. No matter where you're at, this is relevant to you. And so if you're just like at the front end of your journey and you're just maybe seeking this out or, or discovering who Jesus is in your life, that this will be beneficial to you. And maybe you've been work walking for a while in this church thing. Maybe you're kind of like a one foot in, one foot out kind of person, that this will be beneficial for you. If you've been walking with Jesus for 35, 40 years, that this is beneficial for you because at the end of the day, these are the things that God uses continually to grow our faith in him. So today as we get started, I wanna to talk to you about the Bible and specifically about the practical application of the teachings we find in the Bible. Today I'm not gonna be talking about learning more information. What I'm talking about is what happens to us when we are exposed to scripture and we walk away not just knowing more about what's in here, but actually taking what we've learned and living it out, applying it to our lives. That when we look, when we get to the place of looking at the Bible, not as just something to know more about, but actually something that God expects us to do, our spiritual lives, they grow. In fact, we would go so far to say here at Crossroads that it would be better for you not to pick this up and read it, unless you plan on making some changes in your life. That it would be better for you not to pick this up and read it unless you're willing to change some things in your life. See, one of the great problems in the Western church, in the American church, is that we've grown very satisfied in knowing a lot about this, but not so much applying it to our, to our lives. In fact, we've built an entire system, an entire church system around this. Sunday schools, Bible studies. One of the most common questions that's asked in church is what did you learn today? As if God is something just to simply study, something to research, when every single one of us longs, not just to know more about God, but to actually experience him as we walk with him in relationship. Like we all long for that in our lives. Now, before some of you get your tomatoes ready to throw them at me, let me just tell you that knowledge is important. Understanding is important. But when Jesus opens the scriptures, when Jesus came on the scene and began to teach from the Old Testament, something was different. That Jesus didn't just teach to knowledge, that Jesus taught to application. And so today I wanna to walk through an example of what this looks like. And so if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter seven. In Matthew chapter seven, we have Jesus' greatest sermon that we have recorded called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you haven't read it, let me just say this real quick, that I would encourage you actually to go and read it. It'll only take you 12 minutes to read, but it'll take you a lifetime to live out. That when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's not preaching a sermon so much on like what to, what to know. This isn't a sermon of, of what to know, but rather this sermon, Jesus is teaching what to do. It's very important that when Jesus sits down and begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount, he is not preaching how do you get into heaven. That's not his objective. He's not teaching how you make it into heaven. Instead, what he's, what he's preaching to, what he's teaching to, is what would it look like if you lived for me? 
What would it look like if, if you lived for Jesus, if you had faith in God? Jesus says, if you had big faith in God, this is what your life would look like. This is what you would do. This is how you would behave. This is the way that your life, this is what your life would be all about. And as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, he says some shocking things. I mean, some things that just take us back. Things like, things like this, that if someone offends you, don't retaliate against them. Don't seek revenge, but rather, rather forgive them. And we sit back and we go, well, who does that? In another party, he starts, starts in on our, our thought life. He says, I just need you to know that if you have lust in your life, that's a sin, just like adultery is. And then he takes aim at our hearts and he says, if you're harboring hatred in your heart, in God's eyes, that's the same as killing someone. He gets to giving and he says, I just want you to give the possessions that you have as much as you can. Just give it away. To which we go, Jesus is like, that's a little bit uncomfortable. Can you focus that in a little bit? And he goes, no, no, no. If you see a need, meet it. And I want you to give as much as you can away. I mean, he said silly things like this, that, that tomorrow, allow tomorrow to take care of itself. Like there's enough worries about today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow yet. When it came to intimacy with God, he said, when you're doing intimate things like fasting and praying with God, do it in such a way that you're not bringing attention to yourself. And maybe for most of us, we've heard the Sermon on the, on the Mount enough times where we kind of like know most of this stuff and we totally forget that these were like life-shaping, like culture-shaping ideas in their time. Statement after statement of what to do if you really had faith in God. Not to God, gain God's favor. No, the assumption that Jesus is making is that these people already have God's favor. They're already with God. And what they're doing is, is they're looking at how do you live this out? How do you live for God in these moments? And so as Jesus gets to the end of this sermon, he concludes it this way in verse 24, chapter 7. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? Go ahead and say it, and, and does them. That anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you wanna live out your faith, if you wanna be different, if you want God to be visible in your world, if you want to experience God, not just know more about him, but actually experience him, then you actually have to do these things. Jesus says, look, you can't stand back and say, I love God because I heard all of Jesus' sermons. Jesus says, that's crazy. It doesn't work that way. You have to hear these words of mine, and then you have to go and do them. And all of us, we, we shake our heads and go, yeah, yeah, I get that, I understand, Jesus. Like, yeah, I, I'm for that, but are we really? Are we really? I mean, if we were truly honest with ourselves, we'd at least have to come to the conclusion that we're not much different than the people that Jesus is actually talking to here. See, in church world, we have this kind of, this idea, don't we? That Sunday morning attendance equals spiritual maturity. That Sunday morning attendance equals spiritual maturity. That those who are here every Sunday who never miss, that those must be the ones who are most mature in their faith. 
Now listen, I love the church. I love what we do in this church. It's important what we do. I'm not diminishing what we do, but hear me. If we think that showing up to church, that attendance and listening to Matt preach is what makes the difference, Jesus goes, no, no. Jesus says, you can hear everything that I have to say, that you can listen to all of Matt's sermons, but if you don't do any of it, it won't make a single difference in your life. Sure, you'll know a lot. Maybe you'll be able to recite the Ten Commandments. Maybe you'll be able to quote John 3, 16. But Jesus says, the thing that grows us spiritually is not simply knowing and understanding. The thing that changes everything is applying, is doing the things that he says. Jesus says, don't pick this up unless you plan on making some changes in your life and applying it by living it out. And when it comes to our story, isn't this the way it works anyways? I mean, for probably most of us, we have a story that's something like this that we would go, you know what? I've believed this since I was a kid. Like, like I've been believing this for a long time, like Brian's story, that, that I was a kid and I've been believing this for a long time. I went to Awana's, I know the verses in here, but maybe your story goes like this, that maybe in high school or you went away to college and all of a sudden, the things that you believed in see some importance. And in college, stuff just kind of happened, didn't it? And pretty soon your faith was somewhere back here and God was somewhere back there. It was like it made no difference in your world. And at some point in your story, you went through some storms, you went through some times, and it was like, God, where are you at? And you looked for God, and it felt like God was so distant. And then someone invited you into a community where, where you actually heard some, some practical teaching and you started to actually live this out that you actually started to apply some of this stuff to your family, to your job, to your marriage, to your friendships, to your broken relationships, to your money. But it wasn't, you would say, it wasn't until I started to live this out. And when I did, something was different. It was like God was at work in my life. And the reality for us is this, is that when we put feet to what we believe, God honors that. And it's often in those moments when we look up and say, I know, I know that God is with me. That Jesus gets to the end of this sermon, the most, the most brilliant sermon that we have, the most famous sermon that Jesus preaches. And he gets to the very end of it and he looks out at the people and he says, thanks for coming today. But if you came here only to hear what I had to say and no plans of doing any of it, you've wasted your time. Thanks for coming. And as shocking as that was for them back then, it's as shocking for us today, isn't it? And Jesus knowing this kind of helps us through this. We go into story time with Jesus. And he's sharing this story with us about, about two different types of people. And he says, the wise person, the wise person, they built their house, verse 25, and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? Yeah, and does not do them. Listen, every one, of the, every one who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, 
And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. That in story time with Jesus, Jesus paints a picture of two different types of people, one wise, one fool. And he says the reason that the wise man's house did not fall was not because he knew how to build a house. Jesus says the reason the wise man's house did not fall is because he knew how to build a house and then he applied how to build a house. That he listened and he obeyed. That he listened and he applied. Now, it's the beginning of the year. Tomorrow is March. This is the last day of February. And probably like most, um, I made some goals at the beginning of this year. And one of those goals was to be in better shape, to eat more healthy, all right? And so I've been kind of trying to figure out what that looks like. It seems like it should be really easy, right? Like eat more vegetables. The problem is I don't like anything green. And so like I'm trying to figure all this out. And so as I'm figuring out this stuff, I stumble onto some videos on YouTube. And one of the videos on YouTube was these three guys who met with this nutritionalist. And over the course of six weeks, they did everything this nutritionalist said to do. And their transformation was amazing. Like over six weeks, they lost fat, they gained muscle. I mean, in one instance, the guy didn't even look the same. I mean, it was remarkable, their transformation. And yet, as remarkable as their transformation was, that's not what caught my attention as I watched the video. That as I watched the video, what caught my attention was the nutritionalist. Like, it was fairly apparent early on in the video that he did not do a thing that he told the others to do. Like, he was completely out of shape. Like, it was just so apparent that he didn't follow any of his own advice. Like, he knew how to build a great nutritional house. But the problem was, is he wasn't applying any of that to his life. Now, come on, let's get a little more serious. Let's get a little bit more deep. Let's, let's talk about the church that every single one of us over the course of the last couple of years have seen headline after headline of pastors falling into sexual sin. We've watched the, the catastrophe at a national level of, of pastors acting badly with huge consequences. I mean, people are leaving the churches in droves because they cannot trust the leaders who are supposed to lead it. And we sit back in these moments and we read these headlines. And you have to ask the question, right? Like, like, did they not know that lust was a sin? Did they not know that adultery was a sin? Did they not know what the consequences would be if they went down this road? I mean, come on. They knew. Of course they knew. They just didn't apply what they knew to their lives. And the consequences were huge. Jesus says you want to reflect. You want your family to reflect, your dating relationships, your money, your job. You want it to reflect a life of someone who is wise, who has built their house right, weathering the storms. He said, then you have to actually do this stuff. You have to do this stuff. Not in order to earn your salvation. That's not what this is about. But in order to grow spiritually. And then look at how all of this ends, verse 28. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds, they were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That last little footnote is an interesting footnote and not as their scribes. See, we know from historical documents that when it comes to the scribes, the scribes taught for knowledge. 
memorize the Torah, know the laws of God at the drop of a hat, be able to name Enoch's son. I mean, when it came to their knowledge of the Old Testament, they would run circles around every single one of us. Like their knowledge was huge. And yet the secret of the ancient world, which wasn't a big secret at all, was that none of these guys actually lived what they knew. That none of them lived what they knew. In fact, later on in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and and he's like casting woes on them, like warnings on them. And right at the beginning, he kind of pauses speaking to them and he looks out at all the people. And he says, hey, I want you all to pay attention. You see these Pharisees and these scribes over here? You are to respect them because they have authority over you. They're in positions of authority over you, so you give them respect. But do not emulate them. They do not practice what they preach. I mean, the scribes, they knew all that there was to know when it came to the scriptures. And yet they could not see the Messiah who showed up right in front of them. And when Jesus comes on the scene, begins teaching, the crowds are amazed because the Sermon on the Mount wasn't just a sermon about knowing more stuff. It was about taking what you know and applying it into your lives. That Jesus taught not just for knowledge, but for application. Listen, Jesus says that it's application that application is the difference maker in your life when it comes to your spiritual growth. That application is the difference maker in your life when it comes to spiritual growth. Now, for most of us, we hear that and we go, okay, I got it, I can do this, right? Read, understand, apply, got it. Deeper, personal quiet times. And what we lose sight of in this, as we try to apply this, is that in the Middle Eastern culture, and specifically in the ancient Near East culture, the time that Jesus was alive when all of this was written, that in that culture, it would have been totally foreign to them to think about doing something at an individual level. In fact, as we read through the New Testament, almost every interaction when it comes to Scripture is communal. It's communal. That for a variety of reasons, for a variety of reasons, that people would gather to hear the reading of Scripture and then to apply it in their lives. Now, as I say that, know that doing individual Bible study is not bad. Owning a Bible is good. Reading your Bible is good. Spending time with Jesus is good. But what it also means is that us modern-day believers, that we would benefit greatly from working through the Bible and applying it within holistic community. Just like Jesus did, just like his disciples did, just like the followers in the early church did. See, when it comes to applying the Bible together in community, this is what shapes our life. That early Christians, they read together in order to grow spiritually, to grow spiritually. They gathered to hear God's word and and have it read out loud so that they could come together and discuss it and apply it in their lives. That we see this throughout the book of Acts. In fact, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, after Jesus' crucifixion, a few weeks later, he ascends into heaven and all of the guys and gals, all the followers are left. And it's like, what are they going to do now? Like Jesus has just ascended to heaven. And the first thing that they decide is to sit down in a house and they begin to open the scriptures and they begin to read the scriptures, talk about the scriptures, apply the scriptures and pray in their life. Like that's what they do. After a few weeks, Pentecost happens and Peter stands up before 3,000 people and he begins to speak and share about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
And immediately, immediately, 3,000 people fall to their knees and they give their lives to Jesus. And then they go and they scatter all around the world, starting communities where they can read the scriptures, apply the scriptures, pray together. We fast forward, Peter gets arrested in the book of Acts. And the story that follows is that a group of people gather together to open up the scriptures and pray for him. We fast forward a little bit further and we see in Acts that there's this, this uh, people called the Berean people, and that wherever Paul spoke, that they would go back and they would open the scriptures and they would see what he said and they would try to apply it into their lives within the community, the Berean community, that time and time again, as we read through the book of Acts, we see that people would gather together in order to apply the scriptures in their life, that their goal, their goal was not just merely to be informed, but to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And when we gather in community and we open God's word and we begin to apply it in community, our individualistic tendencies begin to fade away. And humility and gratitude begin to fill our life. By reading and discussing God's truth, we begin to understand and appreciate the insights of others. We come to a place where, where we realize that, that we don't actually have the ability to fully grasp God's truth on our own, that we need other people, people that God puts in our lives in order that we might grow spiritually. See, it's in a communal setting, in holistic community, where when we apply the scriptures, there's actually accountability to one another. And God honors that in our lives. And the question is, not whether Jesus did it, because he did, and so did his disciples, and so did the early church. The question is, is will we? Will we engage in this way? See, last August I turned 40, and as I turned 40, I've been a little bit more reflective in my life over this last season. And as I thought through this, one of the things that I'm so grateful for is that throughout the majority of my life, I've always grown up in holistic community that has pushed me to grow in my faith, to push me just the way that Jesus spoke here. That when I, was a, when I was a young kid, I grew up in a family where my dad, when we got home from church, he would not ask us what we learned today in church. Instead, he would ask us, what did we take away that's gonna make a difference in our lives? Now, my brother, my younger brother, he was always good in a pinch to give what he thought was the most brilliant answer ever to that question, which was just simply Jesus, right? Like, Jesus, dad? Yeah, close, son, right? When Sarah and I fast forward, when we got engaged, we had a couple named Greg and Donna Carlson who walked us through what it looked like to be married. They taught us principles from scripture. They helped us apply the Bible to, us, to our marriage. They taught us that as a married couple that we should never allow the sun to go down in our anger and what consequences follow in couples when that happens. They taught us kind of the complementary nature of the way that God created us and brought us together. We talked through that God gave us one another to make decisions in our lives and for our families and that when we couldn't agree as a couple, then we should just agree not to. Principles in life that have held us together for 18 years. Fast forward, we were married early on in our marriage. We, we joined a, a young couple's small group that was going through Crown Financial. And it was with that group of people that I was challenged to use my money differently, to use my money in a different way. And so during that time, I was in Kentucky, I was going to seminary, I was working in a warehouse during the day, going to school at night. And every year around June, we would get profit share from the company and they were big checks. 
And the people, they would just, the warehouse guys, they would make fun of me because they would go out and they would buy like boats and new cars, like all this fun like stuff. And they thought I was crazy because Sarah and I, we would save 10%, we would give 10% to the church and then the rest of it we would use to pay for school. I mean, they thought we were crazy. And yet here I am 20 years later and Sarah and I look back and we've never had significant money problems, not because we've made a lot of money, we don't but because we're committed to biblical principles of giving, saving, and living within our means. Fast forward all the way to today. We have a community group that gathers every Sunday evening. It's the highlight of my week. We're a multi-generational group. There's, there's an age span of about 35 years in our group. And we gather together and we hang out and we eat dinner and then we sit down and we open God's word up and we begin to apply it and talk about it in our lives. It's the highlight of my week. Last week, while we were wrapping up our series on purpose, we were having conversations about purpose, and there was a real vulnerability in the group, and it just, I just sat back, and I was inspired to take this more seriously, even as a pastor, to take this more seriously, to actually live it out. See, it's not just knowing more about this, but actually living it out in holistic community that causes our faith to grow, that causes our faith to grow. So in church history, there's this person named St. Francis of Assisi, and uh, he had disciples and followers that would follow him around. And one of the things that St. Francis did is that he would tell everyone who followed him that the only thing that they were allowed to read was the Sermon on the Mount. He would tell them that until they understood the Sermon on the Mount and actually lived it out in their lives, they couldn't move on to the rest of the Bible that they had to apply this section of scripture before they could read anything else. And admittedly, if we followed St. Uh, Francis's plan, we would be limited in our exposure to other good points in the Bible. But there's something true about what St. Francis said, isn't there? That you have to apply what you know before you can really move on. And for all of this, square number one, the beginning of this whole journey is Jesus who created all of this beautiful creation and then watched in heaven as our sin, my sin and your sin, begin to ruin and to ravage. And instead of sitting in heaven, staring down in just anger, we were met with compassion. And Jesus stepped into this world not only to show us what it looked like to worship God and to live for God and what it was all about to follow God, but also ultimately to go to the cross where his body was broken and his blood was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins to pay a penalty that we could never pay. Raising again three days later, after that crucifixion, showing us his glory, and now 2,000 years later, he looks at me and he looks at you. And he says, don't spend a lifetime just knowing more facts about me. Live this out in your life. You want to see God at work? Live this out in your life. And for some of you, you're right at the beginning of this journey and you hear Jesus whispering in your heart right now and the application for you is simple. Later on in the New Testament, we're told that those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be what Brian testified to earlier, that we're now a part of God's family. A part of God's family. If you're here today and, and knowledge has been a huge thing for you, we're starting something brand new here at Crossroads this week called Growth Tracks. 
that Growth Tracks is just a simple plan of spiritual growth for you, done in community. We bring spiritual guides alongside you, people who have been walking in the faith 20, 25 years, to walk alongside you to help you know and see and apply the things that Jesus said. See, every week, every week we take communion weekly here. And there's one key reason that we take communion. And it's this, that we never actually move beyond the work and ramifications of what Jesus did in our lives. That if I'm not living weekly in the truth that I am a sinner, that I am a sinner, but I am more loved than I could ever comprehend because of what the cross did, then I will always, always, always try to earn my salvation. When the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus came into this world, his body was broken, his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. When I forget that, so quickly my life can go sideways. So quickly I can find myself trying to earn God's favor. At Crossroads, we just simply believe that Jesus gave his life for you, that Jesus gave his life for me because he first loved me. And because of that, I respond to God daily to use me however he sees fit. That I'm not trying to earn anything in this world, but to live out what he says is the only reasonable response that I can have towards a God who's given everything because of the way that he loved me. Will you pray with me before we remember communion together? Father, Lord, we step into your presence. Lord, giving you thanks for your son, for the way that you move in us, for the reminders in scripture, Lord, that this isn't just about filling our heads with knowledge, but this is about living out life with you, experiencing you in your fullness. And the only reason any of that's possible is because what you did on the cross some 2,000 years ago, where your body was broken for our sins, where your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And so today, God, we give you praise. We give you thanks for that work, that we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to earn your favor at all. You simply extend it to us. And so we remember today, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you remember with me? transition into a time of singing of God's praises of what he's done in our lives. If you need prayer here at Thornton or online, we have people available to pray for you. Online, you can just kick the button. Here, anytime during the song, we have people in the back from our prayer team who are ready to pray with you. With that said, can we go ahead and stand and sing God's praises today?